Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. Because we want to grow together and we want to lead other people in that growth. And it's really hard to lead people and influence people if you're not around them and if you're not rubbing shoulders with them and if you're not, you're not talking to them and you're not involved in their lives. Uh, the pandemic's been weird. Let's just go ahead and say that, right? Hasn't it been strange? It's just been a strange period of time. And it's been a strange period of time, not only for our church, but for churches all over the nation. And one of the things that I keep hearing from pastors as I talk to them is that so many people, because of the separation that was involved with the pandemic, because of people not being able or not being comfortable to be in the immediate presence of everyone else, that people have started getting deeper into this, I'm doing this all by myself type of mentality. That's not what you find throughout God's word. You find God's word encouraging this, as one writer said many years ago, a reciprocal rootedness in each other. That we're, we're rooted to each other. We're rooted to Christ, but in Christ, we're also rooted to each other. And we need each other. And so today, as we've been talking about groups, I want us to wrap up this last Sunday of our series called Downsize, and I want us to talk about living as one body, living unified, this idea of downsizing that we don't have a whole bunch of different people riding off in different directions, but we're all together pursuing the same goal, that's Christ-likeness, and pursuing it together as a faith family. And you find in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 10, these two verses we're looking at today. The writer of Hebrews pens these words, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Pray with me. Lord God, we come before you. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful for this time to come together and worship and to read your word and to have your spirit apply your word to our lives. And so, Father, I pray that today you do just that. I pray that you would remove any distractions, anything that might be in the way of us hearing clearly from you. And we pray that you would speak. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The writer of Hebrews has these two verses. And these two verses are sandwiched into a larger passage in which he warns people to stay close to God, to continue to pursue Christ, to, to, to not back down. And you have these two verses with these commands put in there. And so today, as we're looking at what does it mean to live as one, what does it mean to live as one body, the body of Christ, I want us to look at a few things that the writer of Hebrews says, and looking at it in the context of why do we emphasize unity and togetherness and groups and, and doing life together so much here at East Haven? The first thing the writer of Hebrews mentions is that we are to stir one another to love and good works. We're to stir one another up to love and good works. That's essentially verbatim what he says in verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. 
Now that word consider is the same word that's used in James chapter 1, verse 23, when, when James talks about someone who looks intently into a mirror. James uses this metaphor and he says that someone looking at the word of God, examining the word of God and the word of God reflecting what's going on in this person's life, he says that this is like someone looking intently, looking carefully in a mirror. When, when some of you got ready this morning, you looked intently into a mirror. You made sure your, your hair was right, your makeup was right, you know, you didn't have leftover breakfast on your face or whatever. And so you looked intently into the mirror. You studied it. You looked carefully. And so the writer of Hebrews uses that same word, consider, carefully consider, carefully study how you can stir up one another to love and good works. That word's only used that I could find one other place in the New Testament, that word for stir up. It's a word that's used in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 15, verse 39, and it's the word there, and it's used as a negative, and it means a sharp disagreement. But here, the writer of Hebrews is saying that we are to not have sharp disagreements, but we are to have that same sort of outburst, and we are to encourage one another to outbursts, outworkings of love and good works. Now, I know sometimes we see the word stir up and we think, oh, I have people in my life who stir things up, right? We don't normally think about it in the positive sense. You may have people, you may have coworkers that just stir you up. You may have family members that stir you up in a negative way is what I mean. And a lot of times you find that, uh, that you, have, you have people who are, are trying, you know, maybe they're, they're pursuing God, but maybe they're immature and they can stir things up. I mean, we, we love babies, right? Who doesn't love babies? We, we love babies here at East Haven. You've heard me say from the pulpit, you know, if there's no crying, the church is dying, right? Because it's not that they're the future of the church. They are the church. They're the church now. Our children are the, are the, the church right now. They're coming to Christ now. You look at the baptismal waters. You look at the number of young people that we baptize. They're, they're coming to Christ, and they are the church even now. And so, but we love, we love babies. We love baby Christians. We love people when they first come to Christ and everything is new and everything is fresh and everything's great. But we also know that babies, as much as we love babies, you know, babies can be loud. Babies can be fussy. Babies can be selfish. Babies can make messes. Well, so can baby Christians. They can do all those things too. The problem arises not when someone is a baby Christian and they, they're, they're kind of making a mess or they're making some noise. Or That's not the problem. We, we expect that. The problem is when somebody, let's, let's put it in human terms. Let's use this, let's use this metaphor uh, in a different way. Let's say you see someone who's 30 years old and this person still dresses like a baby and eats baby food all the time and talks like a baby and walks like a baby and wants all the things that a baby wants in the maturity of a baby, you would look at that and say, something's not right about that, right? That would just be weird. And in the same way, it's same, the same thing is true with lots of times Christians when they're baby Christians. And they've been a baby Christian for so long that they're still doing baby Christian stuff instead of growing and maturing in the faith. And we understand that one of the primary ways that we grow and mature in the faith, yes, we read God's word. 
Yes, we pray. Yes, we worship. Yes, we do all these things. But we also must do those things together. Certainly, certainly, there is value to quiet, solitary Bible study, quiet, solitary prayer, personal worship. Absolutely. But that's not it. It doesn't end there. We, we bring that to the people as well. We bring that alongside each other and we worship alongside each other and we are to stir one another up to love and good works. Listen to what Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. This is about oneness. It's a great passage about oneness. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then look at verse 4. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through and in all. So Paul writes and he says that as Christians, we are both united with each other and we're also united in Christ. There is one Holy Spirit and and the Holy Spirit, we're going to start a series in about three weeks, I guess it is. uh, We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. We're going to go into, we're going to do a series about the person of the Holy Spirit, the things that we often overemphasize the things that we underemphasize the ways we ignore the holy spirit the ways we abuse the holy spirit and the things we say that are the holy spirit that the holy spirit is looking at it and would say biblically that's not me so we're going to talk about those things in a few weeks so just go ahead and put that down on your calendar but paul writes and says that there's one spirit that creates that unity because there's there's one body we're to be unified we're to be joined together And in doing so, we stir one another up to love and good works. I know the the guys in the small group that I meet with, Harold White leads our small group on on Tuesday morning at 7. I know that when we get in there, we'll go in there on Tuesday morning and we start talking about whatever study we're going through, whether it's a a book study or whether it's we're reading through a book of the Bible. and, And just how God has used that in my life to encourage me and stir up that love and good works. I love those guys in that small group. And we love each other and we, we pray for each other. We contact each other even during the week. We'll just, we'll just send, somebody will send a message, hey, pray for this. Or hey, thinking about you guys about this and checking on each other. And it's a great time. And, and I am a, I'm a better man and a better pastor for doing life together with these other guys. Because they stir me up to love and good works. I, I keep being reminded of Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen. We use this verse often. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Iron sharpens iron. My grandfather, uh, th- he was a man of, of many skills. Uh, he was just that guy that he could just do all sorts of things. But I know as a child, one of the things that I envied the most was my grandfather's ability to sharpen a knife. Uh, he could sit on the porch swing with his whetstone and his pocket knife, and he could sharpen a knife to the point that you would think, this man's probably about to do surgery on something. I mean, it was just, it was really, just really a, a skill that he had, he had developed and worked on. But he would always do this. He would sharpen that knife 
so that it was sharp enough that it would accomplish exactly what it needed to accomplish. But he didn't get that edge too thin so that the blade would be damaged if it hit something hard. And I remember one day I had my pocket knife and I showed him my pocket knife that I had tried to sharpen. And he just very gently touched the edge of it, thumbed the edge of it. And he looked at me and he said, son, I want you to always remember this lesson. A dull knife will hurt you and it will hurt people around you. And I thought, how can this be the case? Dull knife is dull. How is it going to hurt me if it's dull? It hardly even cuts. And I told him as much. And he said, that's right. Because then you're going to exert a whole lot more effort. You're going to exert a lot more pressure. You may end up breaking your knife. The knife may end up slipping because it's, it's not able to cut through what you're trying to cut through. It can slip off and it can hurt you even in its dullness. It can hurt you or it can hurt someone next to you. He said, you're much more likely to get hurt with an incredibly dull knife than you are with an incredibly sharp knife. And that's wise words. And so we need to be sharpened. We need to be sharp enough that we can go and we can do what God has called us to do and be most effective and be most sharp. But also we need to understand that when that edge gets so incredibly thin, we can become so sensitive that we may be subject to rolling or chipping or or nicking and all sorts of other stuff and damage can be sustained. So you can't be dull, but you can't be too thin that you're overly sensitive. And when you hit some sort of hard thing, you just shatter or you bend or you break. The point of it is this, if iron is going to sharpen iron, iron does not sharpen iron. The knife does not get sharpened if it never meets the whetstone. If the iron never touches the iron, neither of them are ever going to be sharpened. It takes that friction, it takes that movement, it takes that closeness in order for iron to sharpen iron. You can't influence someone that you are not in or have not been in the proximity of. It just doesn't happen. And it's the same for us as as humans, but it's also the same for us in Christ. If we're not spending that time being sharpened and honed, we're not going to experience the growth that he has for us. So we have to stir one another up to love and good work. Secondly, we're to stay faithful in fellowship with others. This is a well-known verse. It's used often, verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Now, let me just go ahead and and say, normally the way we read this verse is we pigeonhole it to one event. That is this time on Sunday morning. Well, I didn't forsake the assembling together. But you know as well as I know that you might be in a room, but you might not be in the room. You know what I mean? Like, you ever been somewhere? I'm not saying necessarily church. I'm not asking for a show of hands. Like, how many of you zone out during my sermons? I don't want to know. Um, that would not be good for me. But you ever been somewhere and someone s- speaks to you and you look at them and you realize, oh, sorry, I have no idea what happened over the last 15 minutes, right? You just, you just zone out, you just go somewhere else, right? And so sometimes we can be here but not really be here. Whenever you find in the New Testament, it talks about them gathering in church settings. They didn't gather in a, in a big room like we're gathering together and, and doing this. That was not the norm. The norm was they gathered in homes, and they were smaller groups that gathered in homes. Uh, I had someone one time at our, the last church where I served 
came to me, and our church did small groups and Sunday school as well. And I remember having a gentleman come to me, and he said, I just don't agree with the whole idea of small groups. And he says, I think we should do Sunday school just like it says it in the Bible. I said, where is Sunday school? Where is Sunday school in the Bible? He said, well, I'm sure it's in there somewhere. I said, no, the Bible doesn't say you have to go to Sunday school, right? <laughs> Thus saith Paul, right? At 9.15, thou shalt gather. No, it doesn't, you don't find that. I said, in those days, they were small groups. The churches were small groups meeting in homes. That's where they, that's where they met. That's what they did. But we find that we're to stay faithful in fellowship with others. And that does not just mean sitting in the same room on Sunday morning together. We're talking about doing life together, worshiping together, being present, fully present. Being present in each other's lives as we're staying faithful in fellowship. Because they weren't just meeting on Sunday morning. They were meeting all during the week in this early time of the church because they knew they needed each other. Listen to verse, Psalm 34, verse 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Magnify the Lord with me. There's a togetherness there. Let us let us corporately magnify his name together listen to what went on in the book of acts in the early church acts chapter 2 verse 42 and they've devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers and awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so you find that they're not off doing things by themselves. I mean, they're, granted, they're having their prayer. They're having, I'm sure they're having solitary prayer time and they're, they're, they're you know, seeking God alone, but they're coming together. This togetherness, this togetherness in worship and doing life together was one of the, this fellowship, as the Bible says, is one of the marks of this early church. Now, when we say fellowship, normally we think of, oh, fellowship, I like that. It's when we get together and we just eat and we have a fellowship. Okay. You don't, we don't necessarily, even though we call it quote unquote fellowship, it's not actually, we don't actually have a fellowship. We are to be a fellowship. We are to experience that fellowship, that community with each other. That's the biblical norm, not an event, but a lifestyle. That's the idea. And I've had people tell me, I remember uh, somebody that came to me when I was teaching a Sunday school class a number of years ago. And this person came to me and said, well, you don't understand. I like to do my own thing. I got my own thing going on. I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't do the corporate thing. I don't do the group thing. I don't even like the corporate worship thing. I just have my own thing that I do just between me and God. And I said, well, that, that's great. But if what's going on between you and God is never brought into the life of the church, then, then essentially what you're saying is you're a sheep that doesn't need the rest of the flock. And he looked at me and he said, well, you're right, I don't. It's amazing how often that solo sheep will become a lone wolf if, you, if they stay out there long enough. Because then they start doing damage. And then they start, they start saying, well, nobody, need, nobody needs to gather together. You don't need each other. I've got everything I need in and of myself. No, we, 
We need each other. We need what the other person can contribute. We are to be built up together. This is what Peter writes. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We're being built up as a spiritual house. We are living stones. You're a living stone. You're a living stone. You're a living stone. You're a living stone. I'm a living stone. And no one contributes the whole of it to the actual structure. I had a, had a guy come to me one time, and uh, we, have a, we use a spiritual gifts inventory here. Whenever you become a, a new member, or if you would like one, we can get it to you. It's, it's not a hard and fast, like you take, the, you take the test, you take the assessment, you check the boxes, and you go, oh, this is clearly my, my spiritual gift. It's just to give you guidance to see where God may be, may be working. There may be some, some areas that God is developing. Or, but it's just to give you basically an idea of being able to look over your life and see where has God moved, how has God worked in me, what spiritual gifts listed in the Bible might he have given to me in order for the upbuilding of the church. And we understand, biblically, no one has all the gifts. No one has all the gifts. That's why we need each other. We need what this person contributes whenever they're being led by the Holy Spirit and residing in the Word of God and abiding in the Word of God. And this person needs what this person can give. But I had a guy come to me and he said, hey, I want, you, I want to show you my spiritual gifts inventory. And this is the same one that I used at uh, our last church uh, where we attended. And uh, it was at the last church where this happened. Uh, this guy came to me and he said, look at this. And on his spiritual gifts inventory, he had scored as high as you possibly could for every single gift. And he said, what do you think this means? I said, well, man, it means one of two things. He said, what are those things? I said, the first one is, you, you, you're so excited, you may not have been truthful. I said, you just may have said, oh, yeah, I can see that. Oh, yeah, I can see that. I said, because, because we, we, that, that's option one. He said, well, I don't think it's that, so what's option two? I said, you're Jesus. Those are the only two options because Jesus had, had everything and he had it perfectly, right? Uh, but, uh, so, you, so either you're God or you, you didn't understand the assignment. One or the two, right? Because we all need each other. We need the gifts that other people have. So, so whenever we hear, whenever we say, if, if you're tempted to be that solo sheep or that lone wolf and we say, hey, you, you need what the church fellowship i'm not talking about the building i'm talking about we as the people the church what we can we can give and pour into your life the truth of the matter is yes that is true and also as you are being led by the spirit and as god has gifted you the body of christ needs what god has gifted you to do we need your gifts. We need each other, and we are to stay faithful in that fellowship with each other. This is why Paul writes in the book of Romans, Romans 12, 4. For as in one body, we have many members. Your body has multiple uh, members. Your body has multiple organs and appendages. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. Your finger does not accomplish the same thing that your toe does right? Your eye, according to the Bible, is, you know, your body is not just one big eye. 
right? Your, your body is not one big nose. No, your body isn't any one part. So as we are in one body, we have many members and the members do not have the same function. So we, that is the church, though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. We're individually members of one another. We're all connected and we're all part of the body of Christ. Talked to a guy not so long ago, a pastor friend of mine. We were talking about the idea of the body of Christ. And he said, how do you think the body of Christ would, how do you think your own body would function if, say, 30% of it just decided to just go along for the ride? Wouldn't that be terrible, right? Or what, what, if, what if just, what if suddenly you were just, your, your body's like, nope, um, I'm just, um, you know, only, only 2%, right? I mean, that would be, that would be really hard. And so, I mean, you know, impossible. It wouldn't be a place of health. And so Paul writes, and he's saying that, you know, this person contributes, and this person contributes, and this person comes alongside, and this person has this area of giftedness, and the Spirit's working, and, and using this gift in this person, and we come together as this beautiful outworking, and we are the body of Christ, the representative of Christ, not only as individuals, but together corporately to a world that needs to see the witness of Christ, and that happens through that togetherness as we stay faithful in our fellowship with each other. So we're to stir one another up, we're to stay faithful, and then finally, we're to stick together. We're to stick together because the time is short. Look at verse 25, the second part. But encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day. That final day. That day when Jesus returns. That day when all is set right. So we're to encourage one another, and all the more we are to do these things as we see the day drawing near, that the time is close. Someone someone asked me, and I mentioned this the other Wednesday night, someone had asked me one time, well, do you think we're living in the end times? Yes. Well, you know, the, the disciples, you know, the apostles, they thought they were living in the end times. Well, they were. Ever since Jesus returned to heaven and said, I will return. We've been living in the end times. We're just one day closer now to it than we were yesterday. And we are closer to it than they were. But there was just this understanding that we're in the end times. Yes. Now, how long does that last? Well, who knows? Only God knows. But we are in that time. But as we see the day approaching, as we see encroaching darkness, as we see the, the level of difficulty increases. We see the world doing exactly what the Bible says it will do and growing worse and worse. As we see this going on, we should stick together all the more and encourage each other all the more. That word encourage is the word that means to come alongside each other, to walk alongside each other. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, Paul writes, therefore, encourage one another. Stay close to one another. Walk alongside each other. And build one another up just as you are doing. We're to walk with each other and and bear each other's burdens and encourage one another. And that word encourage also has the idea of exhorting if need to be, if need be. If someone's going an alternate way or someone's doing something dangerous, someone's going down an unbiblical path, we need to, as in love, say, no, no, come, come back, get on the right path and encourage one another. And so you find that we are to stick together because the time, it's short. We don't have 
time to, to, for all the backbiting and complaining and bickering and anger and all sorts of other, well, there's, there's, no, there's no time for that. The mission is too important. And the mission is there's a lost world that we are to represent Christ to, and we are to know Christ, we are to know God, know him through Christ, and we are to make him known. That's, that's the message. That's it. But it's amazing how we get so caught up in all sorts of other stuff, and instead of encouraging one another, we try to, instead of building each other up, we try to tear each other around. I'm not saying that sometimes there aren't things that we need to confront. So many times we just want to tear things down and just, and just complain and gripe and all sorts of other stuff. You know, I have people that call me periodically, emails, and, you know, catch me in the hall or see me out in public. You know, I'm walking through Walmart and somebody will say, you know, I've been mean to talk to you about something. And I'm like, right here in the bread aisle, this is what we want to talk about. Thank you. All right. But, you know, and, 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 a, lot of time, I've, and a lot of times it's, well, you know, I didn't like this, and I didn't like that, and do you have to do this, and da 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 You know, and I think, and they'll, then they'll say something like this, and I really think that's what's wrong with the church. Can I tell you what I've never had? I've never had anybody call me, email me, stop me, and say, Pastor, can I tell you what, what I think the problem with the church is? I, I'm not praying enough. And, I, and I, want, I want to be a person of prayer because I have not been praying like I should. I just wanted you to know. Nobody's ever said that. I've never had anybody call me and say, hey, you know what I think one of the major problems is of the church? That I have not been living for Christ and making him known in my workplace. And I just want you to know that's going to change. Never had that happen, right? I've never had somebody come to me and say, you know what I think one of the major issues in the church is? I think I've been hijacking it because I have not been living according to the Bible and I've taken all these other things and put them as a priority over Jesus or tried to put them on the same level. I think that's maybe the problem. I think I'm throwing cold water on what the Holy Spirit is wanting to do. I've never heard anybody say that. But you have people like, well, you know, I mean, if only, if only I didn't have to sit under a vent. I'm like, Really? Let me give you a very spiritual response to that. Wear a sweater, right? Okay, wear a sweater or move, all right? Well, this is my seat. Well, then deal with it, right? I mean, sorry, right? I didn't like this. I didn't like that. And, you know, there's a whole host of things that, that we hear. Instead of coming along each side, beside each other to build one another up. A few weeks ago, some of you know this, I mentioned this, a few weeks ago, uh, I spent a week out in Wyoming. There was a, a trip with Compassion International, and they asked me to go with them, and a group of pastors from all over the nation, we all went out there to this, this kind of ranch, and I still, I, I, I still don't know, I don't even know how to categorize it. It wasn't a retreat, it wasn't a vacation, it wasn't a conference, it was just, it was, it was incredible, I've mentioned this, it was just an incredibly, incredibly valuable time, probably Probably, I would say, the most valuable, valuable week, one of the most valuable weeks I've had in all my ministry experience was just being out there. Uh, just, just that time with God and that time with some other guys just to talk and pray and share. And as I was, um, I was riding a horse, I was riding a horse up a, a mountain ridge. And, uh, and you say, you have this image of it. Can I just tell you, it was, it was far more impressive than probably you're imagining. It was amazing. Uh, so I'm riding this, not me on the horse, I'm talking about the view. Um, so I'm, I'm riding this horse up this mountain ridge, and we, we rode up this ridge, and then we ride down uh, this other ridge. We ride down to this valley, and we go down into this gigantic stand of aspen trees. And they had not yet begun to turn. Uh, now I've, some of my friends are out there working on that ranch, and 
I saw some photos just from the weekend, and all the aspen trees are all golden and yellow now, but they had not begun to turn. And so we tied the horses in this aspen grove, and, and we walked down to the river to fly fish. We had, you know, they had packed in our fly rods, and so we had walked down to the river, to a few of us, to fly fish. And I, I sat down on a rock, and I was looking back at all those aspen trees. And some of you know that before I was a, a pastor, before I served as a pastor on staff, um, I was a teacher, and I was an English teacher. And before I was an English teacher, I was a science teacher. And so I was sitting there, and I was looking out at these aspen trees, and I remembered something that I had taught some of my students about the aspen tree. Aspen trees, when they're growing in a grove together, they are all interconnected down below the surface. Uh, they, they are genetically the same. But they're also all connected root-wise. And so you find that when one aspen tree is injured or it's lacking resources, maybe it's farther away from, from a water source, this aspen over here that is rooted in the more moist ground or rooted closer to water it will, through that system of connectedness below the surface, it will supply water to that tree that needs it. Or if this one tree is getting more sunlight than another one, the, the way that this tree is processing its, it, the water and the sugars and all the minerals that it's taking in through the dirt, it will take that and it will divert it to the tree that does not have as much. And so they're all connected. And I just sat there out on this rock and I was looking at this aspen grove that was just shimmering in the wind. And I thought, what a picture of what the church is to be. That we're to be so connected. Maybe, maybe not even visibly so connected above surface, but, but we're to be connected at a deep rooted level. That reciprocal rootedness in each other. That we are together in this. And, and the other thing about aspen trees, you don't normally find an aspen tree that's just growing out there by itself. You find them together in groves. Because one aspen growing by itself out in that rocky soil out there by itself is subject to be blown over. It's subject to all the ravages of the storms. But together, oh, together it's a different story. They form a windbreak. Together they, they bear each other up, even if they're not necessarily interlaced above the surface, below the surface, they are holding on to each other. And as the day, as the time draws near, as we see darkness encroaching and difficulty coming and more and more opposition arising toward Christianity all around the world, we need to be rooted in each other. We need to be encouraging one another and sticking together, walking alongside each other, being woven together because the time is short. Listen to what Jesus prays. We looked at this here recently. I just want to revisit it once more here. In John chapter 17, starting in verse 20, Jesus is facing the cross. And this is one of the things that he prays as he's facing the cross. I do not ask for these only, that is his disciples present with him. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. He's praying for us. That they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Whenever we are connected with each other, 
Whenever we are living in unity with each other, whenever we are doing life together, then Jesus says that that unity, the unity that's not brought about because it's forced and it's crammed, this unity that is brought about because we actually have a desire to do life together and we work, we see that working out, whenever we see that occur, Jesus says that that is so that the world may believe you have sent me. One of the most powerful testimonies of the reality of Jesus being sent is when his people live in unity with each other. The same unity that Christ has with his Father, it's the same kind of unity because now the Holy Spirit lives within each one of us if, who is a follower of Christ, then we can experience that union not only with each other but also with God himself through Christ. We need to stick together. So in the days to come, we need to stay together. We encourage each other. We walk alongside each other. We support each other. Will there be times of disagreement? Yes, because iron is going to sharpen iron and there may be sparks and there may be friction. But we understand that if we are seeking the same God and we are living by the same word and we are filled with the same spirit, there will be unity. And where there is not unity, where there is that disunity, it's a clear sign that we're out of line of the Spirit, we're out of line of His Word, we're out of line of the truth. That's what God's Word tells us. And so I say all that to say this. If you've been tempted to live as a lone wolf Christian, and you've been tempted to separate yourself, and you've been tempted to live as that solitary aspen up on the side of a mountain, can I tell you, that's dangerous ground. Not only do you need what those around you are able to pour into your life and encourage you and walk with you and offer you that strength, but you are needed to offer up what God has gifted you with so that the body of Christ might be built up, so the body of Christ might be edified, that biblical word, so that we might come to a unity and a fullness so that the world may know that Jesus has been sent and we corporately not only individual but corporately we are his witnesses we are his witness as the church we are his witnesses as individuals that's what he calls us to so where is it you've been tempted to live outside of that togetherness can i just tell you based upon god's word he calls us together because we understand that we are following Jesus and we grow together. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your, that your word is absolutely true. Your word is truth. And so, Father, I pray that however you want to work in each of our lives to deepen our walk with each other, to connect us more deeply with each other, and in doing so, walking more closely with you, I pray that you would do just that in each of our individual lives. It may be that somebody here says, next Sunday, I need to step into that Sunday school class. I need to take that step. And I need to go and I need to be there and I need to, I need to, to grow together with others. For some, it may be going out in the fellowship hall and signing up for one of the groups. Maybe it's 
maybe it's you dealing with someone who, who has, has been so much involved with being together, and that is a great thing, but they haven't spent time just with you, God, reflecting and seeking you. And I pray you would, you would do just that so that we might, we might, whether we are alone, and if we're in Christ, we're never alone, not fully, because your spirit's always with us. But whether it's, it's just us outside of a group or whether it is together in a group or in a worship service, Father, may we, wherever we are, seek to glorify you most fully. And Father, I pray for, for those here this morning that would say, I, not only am I not together with a group or with individuals or I'm doing life together, I, I don't even know Christ. I've never, I, I'm not together with Christ. I've never made that decision to follow him. Father, I pray today would be the day that they would say yes to Jesus. That they would say, I want to be unified with Christ. I want to be in fellowship with Christ. And, and by saying no, by denying themselves by saying no to themselves by saying no to their sin and repenting turning from their sin and self and turning toward Christ alone trusting that he came and lived a sinless life and died a death in our place on the cross so that if we place our faith in him that he did die for us and offers us that forgiveness so that we might be in fellowship with God the Father by trusting that that sacrifice was made for us and surrendering our lives to him, then we will be saved and we will be brought into a togetherness with the God of the universe. Father, I pray that if anyone needs to make that decision, today would be the day. Maybe some would say, I've just grown cold. I've, I've separated myself from others and I've grown cold in my spiritual walk. Father, I pray that you would draw them back to yourself and let them see that that reciprocal rootedness with each other in Christ is the biblical norm. Father, may we be drawn closer together in the bonds of peace by your spirit, trusting in your word, and coming together and worshiping you in a way that brings you the most glory, the most honor, and the most praise possible. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.